This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. So here's a really, really important question. In fact, let me invite you, like to out loud, read this from the screen with me. You ready? Read, read this with me. Even if you're at home, just read this off your screen at home. What's necessary for the best is necessary for the rest. That's going to become really important and way more clear to you uh, after we get into the message a little bit, but I wanted to get it at the beginning because it's going to be really important as we walk through the message today. But, but let's go, let me take you back in history for a little bit. Uh, let me take you back to the mid-1990s. So for some of you, that's like memory, but for others of you, that's like ancient history in your history books. Like for you, it's like easier to say like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away back in the 1990s, right? Back in the 1990s, I was serving my very first church down in coastal South Georgia. And in that church was, was a retired pastor named George, who was uh, like a mentor to me. And one day, George came to me and he said, hey, Rich, I'm, I'm going to lead a mission trip to Jamaica, and I think you need to be on that trip with us. So like, let's go. And so I went to Jamaica, and we were in the little tiny town called Port Royal. So I don't know if you know geography of Jamaica at all or not, but Jamaica, you know, the island Jamaica, uh, the, the King, Kingston's the capital, and it's down on the southern southern edge of Jamaica. And, and Kingston's a, it's kind of a really scary place. It's, it's not a safe place. But going out from Kingston is this little peninsula, and a little isthmus, and at the end of that, out in the water, is a little tiny village or town called Port Royal. It used to be like a British naval port, but now it's just one little town with a little dirt road into it. And that's where we were in Port Royal. And it was hard work. We're there, you know, for a week or two. But we had, we had dedicated one day to renting a few vans and driving our team through Jamaica around the island to see, like, what Jamaica was really like. Now, there was a man on our trip, on, in our group, named Ned. And Ned was a retired pastor, and he was, he was like the quintessential older southern gentleman, if you can picture that, right? White hair, smiling all the time, deep drawl, just super great guy. And on the day that we were taking our excursion through the island, Ned wasn't feeling well. He said, I'm just going to stick around Port Royal while y'all go have the day, and I'll meet you when you get back. So we got in our vans that morning, and we, we start heading out of town, and, and we noticed something different at the end of the isthmus, like in the port, was a ship. Like, there's never been a ship there, like when we were there. But on that morning, it just showed up overnight, was this really nice ship with all these very colorful flags on it. We're like, oh, that's interesting, but we were heading out, so we didn't think much more about it, and we drove off. But Ned went into Port Royal, and he noticed that there was a lot of excitement in town. Like, there was a buzz going around town that day because that ship was all of a sudden sitting there in the, in the port. And he noticed as he stood along the road looking towards the port, like down the end of this little one-lane one road, road, that all these people were coming out on the street because a car was coming, which was a rare thing, but a car was coming from the, the port from where the ship was up that little road right through the center of town. And the longer he stood there, the more people came gathered around, and it was driving very slowly, this car. And he noticed that people, as it, as it drove by, they're all waving and cheering, and some were, like kids were running along beside it. And the car got up right where he was. He looked in the open window, and there was... Queen Elizabeth from England, 
waving at him, for real. And we're like, we missed that. And he's telling us this story when we got back. And the best part of his story that he might like the best, he kept repeating over and over again, was when the car got to me, y'all, she looked right at me and waved straight to me. And I wanted to say, Ned, you're the only old white guy in a bunch of, a bunch of beautiful Jamaicans. Of course she noticed you <laughs> and picked you out of the crowd, right? You stick out like a sore thumb. But here was the Queen of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, Queen of England. And here, here's why she was there. M- many of you, you maybe, maybe you know this. Back in 1962, Jamaica gained its independence, but it remained part of the Commonwealth of Britain. And so once a year, the Queen would make her trip and she would drive, come into port, and she'd drive around the island, like checking things out in one of her parts of her Commonwealth. And the people were so excited. And I, I'm thinking about it. I, I, I missed the queen because I was touring around the island. But, but I'm thinking about that scene and her driving in this, this very nice car, waving out the window. She is like the top of the heap. She's British royalty driving through some of the poorest of the poor of her entire commonwealth. These people were beautiful people. But they had nothing what a, what a gap between the two. And yet they honored her. They respected her. And she drove by. They bowed down to her. They just loved on her. This morning, you're going to meet a guy. And you maybe you already know him. But you're going to meet a guy in Scripture who was like royalty to the Jews. Like when he went down the street in town, people pointed. People waved. Hey, that's him. I think that's him. He was famous, even among the famous. And you're going to meet him. Today, what's interesting about him is, is, as we get into this, is you're going to find out that even though he was so famous, Jesus, when he came and talked to Jesus one night, Jesus was like, you're just like everybody else. And what he told this guy he needed is something that Jesus tells us we all need. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But first, let me just say welcome. Like, welcome to Grace Collective. We are super authentically glad that you are here. We're thankful whether you're here in person or you're here online. We are just so thankful that you are here. Like, even if you're like, I don't come to this hour. I just got to change my clock last night, and I am just showed up at the wrong time. We're glad you came at this time. It's great to have you all at this service. It's going to be a fun morning. Like, if, if, if this is your first time here, by the way, we hope it won't be your last time. And if you are new, like if you're new to the church or you're new to faith, you could not have picked a better time to be here because we're in the middle of this deep dive into who Jesus was and who Jesus is and what that means for your life. Like we're, we're all month long, we're meeting people in scripture who were experimenting with Jesus, like people who weren't followers of Jesus heard about Jesus, wanted to go lay their eyes on Jesus, maybe even talk to Jesus. And, and there are people, they came and they met with him. And some of them, they bought in and others bowed out. And the ones that bought in, they changed the world. And the ones that bowed out, they missed out. And again, our hope is that as you experience their stories, it's going to help you navigate your story. So let's, let's get into today's story. And understand, when I say like today's story, it's not a, a made-up story. It's not a, it's not a bedtime story. This is a real event with real people recorded for us by a real people. Like the guy that wrote this for us, his name was John. 
And John was one of four men who had their biographies of Jesus included in what we call the New Testament. So we have our Bible. We have a first half and a second half, right? We have a before Jesus, then we have the Jesus time. And the Old Testament and then the New Testament. So... These, these four gospels or biographies of Jesus were written by these four different guys. Now, when they wrote their biographies of Jesus, none of them were writing the Bible because when they wrote this, there was no the Bible. They were just writing their account of the events and the miracles and the teachings of Jesus because they wanted the world to know. So, so John is one of these four guys, and there actually were many, many others who wrote up accounts of Jesus' life. But these four, God said, these are four I want in the Bible. He put them in the Bible in the New Testament for us. John is one of those four, but he's one of only two that were actually apostles of Jesus. I don't know if you know that or not. But, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels we have, only Matthew and John were actually apostles of Jesus, meaning the closest followers, the closest friends of Jesus. The other two were not. But when you read John, then you get to understand that everything John wrote for us was like eyewitness, ear witness, personal witness, testimony about what he's writing. So this is like something he experienced or the things that he didn't get to experience. Jesus told him, hey, when you weren't here that day, this is what happened. And so John is writing um, this really great personal testimony to us. And in his writing, he tells us about the man I want you to meet in scripture today. So here's what John tells us about him. John writes, Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So right away, John introduces us to the main character beside Jesus of the story, and his name is Nicodemus, right? Just make sure you're all listening. You got one hour or less of sleep last night. Make sure you're still awake, right? So his name is Nicodemus, and he tells us right off the bat, hey, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, if you grew up in church or you've ever had any church experience in your life, then when you hear the word Pharisee, you probably think of words like uh, stiff-necked, um, legalistic, narrow-minded, Jesus-hater, like, oh, you're the ones, boo-boo, you're the ones that convinced the Romans to hang Jesus on a cross. Hey, you're not wrong, but you're not actually right either. The, the Pharisees, they were, they were a certain group of people among the Jews. They were very legalistic. That, that's all that's true. But in their culture, understand, in their culture, they were up here and everyone else was down here. They, that gap was huge. They were the most super religious people. They, not because they were tyrants, but because they knew the Bible better than anybody else. They knew their Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament, we call it today. They worked harder. Nobody worked harder at knowing God's word than the Pharisees. And so they were seen as these super religious people, highly respected. When, when, when the Pharisees walked down the street, people were like, woo, we're glad you're here. That's, yeah, you're, the, you're a Pharisee. And they, they, they respected the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees prided themselves so much on knowing God's word. They even made up new laws. To help them keep God's law. They wanted to keep it so well. And it wasn't just a personal thing. They considered themselves the gatekeepers to the very rich history, heritage, and, and religious nature of the Jewish people. So the Pharisees were so highly respected. You know, they, they're keeping the Jewish people between the guardrails 
for, for, for years and generations and centuries. So that's, that's who they are. They're, they're, they're way up here on top. And this is why they're so hard on Jesus, because Jesus just represented everything that wasn't their tradition. But that's the Pharisees, some of the most highly respected people in Jewish culture. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So Nicodemus is living really high on the social ladder. But it's even better than that for him. Because John also told us he was a part of the Jewish ruling council. That is a group of 71 men. Sorry, ladies, they are very patriotic. It's a 71 men body of, 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 of the rule makers. They, were the, they had all the decision-making rights for the entire Jewish nation. That's who they were, the Sanhedrin. 71 guys. That's, a, that's a thin air up that high. And that's where Nicodemus lived. So no matter where the Jews lived, anywhere in the world, they were under the, the authority of these 71 men. That's, that's like the 0.01% of all the Jews. But it gets even higher than that for Nicodemus. Listen, in a few minutes, you're going to hear Nicodemus refer to himself as an old man, which was huge in that tradition, in that culture. Older folks were so highly respected. So not only is he a Pharisee and, he, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin, but he's like one of the old guys in the club. He's maybe, maybe in the top 10 of the Sanhedrin. And then it gets even better than that. Like you're learning all new stuff about Nicodemus, right? They make me feel good, right? So, so then it's maybe even better because also in this passage, you're going to hear Jesus say, you're the teacher of Israel, like the teacher now, maybe he meant like one of the teachers, or maybe he meant like the teacher. Like, you're the most learned guy we've got. Nicodemus is living at the top of the heap. He is the top of the top. Like, so far above 99.999% of everybody else in the Jewish world. Here's what happened. That's Nicodemus. Here's what happened. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That raises, to me, two really interesting points. Here's the first interesting point about this. He came to Jesus at night, right? Like, why, why would Nicodemus choose to come in the cover of darkness? Well, there, there are several theories about this, actually. One is that the these... Pharisees, they studied so hard and so long, like every day into the night, that's the only time he had to come. Eh, maybe, but probably not. I think the real reason is it was, it was about reputation. Like Nicodemus is way, way, way up here. And from their vantage point, Jesus is way, way, way down here. And for Nicodemus to be seen with Jesus in public would have really radically hurt his reputation. Like, if he was seen talking to Jesus in, in public, it would have at best confused his peers up here, and at worst brought severe condemnation from his peers way up here. So I think this is a very strategic move on, on Nicodemus's part to come see Jesus under the cover of darkness. It preserved his reputation, but it also allowed him to explore some suspicions he had about Jesus. That's the first interesting thing about what we read. Here's a second interesting thing. Is the word we. Did you catch that? 
Nicodemus said, hey, Jesus, we believe that you're a really good teacher sent from God because if not, like nobody could do what you do. So who's the we? Because it's just Nicodemus meeting with Jesus. Who's, who's he representing? Is it the, the Sanhedrin, this, the 71 member like church council? Like the, the, they weren't just like some little church council or, or town council. They were like Supreme Court. Is he, is he just representing the entire Sanhedrin? Do they all believe that? Well, probably not. They're the ones plotting to kill Jesus, right? They're the ones trying to take Jesus out. I don't think they really respect Jesus. So who's, who's the we? Maybe, maybe it's a little group, a minority group in the Sanhedrin. Like maybe there are some parking lot meetings going on. You know, parking lot meetings are right. When you have your, your council meeting or your leadership meeting, whatever's going on, and you do all the business, and then, and then when everybody goes to the parking lot and they get in the car to drive home, there's that little group that goes to the corner of the parking lot, and they start discussing all the stuff that was just discussed, and, and it's usually not good, right? It's usually plotting something. So maybe Sanhedrin met, and they're like, hey, this Jesus character, he's disrupting everything we stand for. We need to, we need to take him out. And then the meeting ends, and this little group goes over to the corner of the camel lot, and they're, and they're talking among each other like, I've never seen anyone draw crowds like this guy. I've never heard anyone teach like this guy. I've never, I've never seen miracles like this guy's doing. One of us needs to go talk to him. Who wants to go talk to him? Like, not me. Because you go talk to Jesus, you've just, you've just shot your reputation. You've, just, you've probably just deflated You've deflated any path you have to get to the top. Not, I'm not going on. So what, maybe what do they do? Draw straws and Nicodemus lost? Drew the short straw? Who, who's, who's the we in this? I have a theory about that. You have to wait a little bit later to hear it. But just know this for right now. There is a we. Nicodemus is not acting alone. There is a we in there. Let's keep reading. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one... Now, if you have your Bible open or the Bible app open, I would say underline or highlight those two words, no one. Say it with me. No one. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus didn't even let Nicodemus ask a question. Did you notice that? The only thing that's happened so far, the only thing that's happened so far is Nicodemus has shown up at night. Jesus, thanks for meeting me. You're a really great teacher. We believe you're sent from God, period. All he's done is complimenting Jesus so far, and Jesus goes for the jugular. Like, there's not even a question that's been asked. But maybe Jesus didn't need a question from Nicodemus. Maybe Nicodemus showing up was question enough. Maybe Jesus just absolutely knew what Nicodemus needed to hear, and Jesus was not about wasting time that night. And so he just, he goes straight forward. He goes right into it. He says, hey, hey, Nicodemus, I know that you're among the super elite. I know you're super important. You're the top of the heap. I know that you are way, way, way up there, like in thin air. But Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And now we get to the crux of the matter. You must be born again. This was, this was problematic for Nicodemus. And maybe, maybe this is problematic for you. I remember standing in my dorm room at UPJ like a thousand years ago. And, and my, one of my roommates was venting like 
at me and to me because two well-meaning Christians that I knew from campus told him he had to be born again to go to heaven. And it just flew all over him. Like this, this guy, he'd been raised in church. He believed he was doing what he's supposed to do. His tradition taught him that just keep your nose clean, check off the boxes, do more good than, than, than more harm. You know, if you do the right things, if you can work it out, if you can do the good works, then you've earned your place in heaven. And that was his whole belief system growing up. And then these two well-meaning Christians come by and say, that's not right. You have to be born again. And it just flew all over him. So he was flying all over me. These are friends of yours. How can they say this to me? Well, it's, Jesus said that. You have to be born again. Maybe you believe the same thing that my roommate believed. It's certainly what Nicodemus believed. It's certainly what he grew up believing. You must, you know, obey the law. You have to check all the boxes. And this went against everything what Jesus t was teaching him. Everything Nicodemus not only believed, but what Nicodemus taught. Remember, he is the or a teacher of, of the whole nation of Israel. He was teaching what he believed every day, you know, to everyone, whenever he went, crowds would gather for Nicodemus. He taught this. Again, you're going to hear Jesus say, hey, you're the teacher of Israel. Jesus wasn't putting him down, by the way. Jesus was saying, hey, good for you. You know God's word. You know the Bible, or the Old Testament, at least what they had in the Bible at that point. You know it. Good for you. More people should know it. They should, they should have it memorized. Like, as a Pharisee that high, he had it memorized. How many of you got the Old Testament memorized? Let's just start it out together back in Genesis, right? In the beginning. Yeah, of course you know the first three words. Everybody knows those words. They, they knew the whole thing. You know, every book, every word, frontwards and backwards. That's how nobody worked harder at being, at being religious than Nicodemus and these Pharisees. So he's, he's known this. He's taught this over and over again. And she's like, yeah, you know it, you're you, and you've taught it. That, that's great. But you're missing the point. See, see, to Nicodemus, if I just keep my religious system, if I just keep God's law, then I'll be part of God's kingdom. You earn your way into the kingdom by being obedient to the law. See, the Jews, the Jews had this, this belief about the, the, about the kingdom of God. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'll just refresh it very quickly. It was, it was called um, Olam Haba, the world to come. That was the Jewish belief that on the final day, God would raise up every Jewish person, every, every Israelite from wherever they are, wherever they've died in the world, any time of history. And if you were a good Jew, meaning if you hadn't like, screwed up too badly, if you hadn't committed some heinous crimes or heinous sins, if you hadn't turned your back on God and walked away from God, if you were in the category of a good Jew, then you would be resurrected from wherever you lived or died back in Israel and you will live forever. God will come down and you will live forever with God in Israel. And that's, that was a Jewish belief system. And the way you got there, like your ticket in, was to be good enough, to, to obey the law enough. If you behave well, you belong to God. But remember what we talked about last week? You cannot behave yourself into a right relationship with God. 
You, you can't be good enough. It's not like you can just be mostly good and keep most of the law. God didn't give you that option. He said, if you're counting on the law, you got to keep the whole thing. You got to keep the whole daggum law. Because if you break even one little bit of the law, God said, you've broken the entire law. Do you really want to pin your hope on you being good enough? Do you really want to make that the ground you stand on when you stand before God? Do you really want to be good enough according to how you kept the law? Let's just, let's just do a little practice, okay? Just a little, little practice. Um, how many of you have ever told a lie? How many of you are lying right now? <laughs> then the rest of the hands will go up, right? Every, everyone's hand. We've all lied. Even a little, little tiny white lie you told so your friend wouldn't get in trouble. You lied. Congratulations. You broke the whole law, right? Good. You're, you're in. Well, you're out, but you're in the group where everybody else is. Um, how many of you, and we talked about this from last week, but it's, I'll go back to it. How many of you have ever, ever, ever dishonored your parents to their faces or not even when you were with them? Remember college, right? And what you do even away from your parents can bring honor or shame to your parents, We've all dishonored our parents. Congratulations. You broke the entire law, every bit of it. Um, oh, how many of you have ever coveted something that your neighbor has? Oh, come on. Now, you're, now we're going back to number one, liars again, right? Yeah. Hey, man, he's got a great chainsaw. I want one just like that. I wish I had that one. I wish I could play keyboard like Noah. You know, I wish I had that person's car. I wish, I wish I, you covet your neighbor's. Anybody ever covet your neighbor's stuff? Yeah, congratulations. You've broken the entire law. And that's just three. Yeah, 610, more to go. How are we doing so far? You want to keep going? I don't think we need to. Listen, we cannot keep the law. That's the point. The law was put in place for us by God, like a, cause like a guardian, like a babysitter for us. Like a babysitter. Hey, here's the law. Live by my law. And then what we find out, I, I can't. Well, that's, that's not a permanent thing for you, just so you know. Because God said, you've got to be perfect. I can't be perfect in this. God, I keep breaking like every day. This guy says, that's okay, because I've got a permanent solution on the way. One who will be perfect for you. And that's when Jesus came. But the idea of being saved by the law, you are not saved by the law. The law points out the fact that you need a savior, someone who will be perfect on your behalf. But the Jews, let's go back, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, they talked themselves into believing that they were good enough, that they kept the law almost perfectly, like all of it, that they were good enough. Now, we, we do the same thing, Right? You do the same thing. You say, well, I may not be perfectly good, but I'm gooder. Like, there's a guy, you know that guy at my work, you know? He, he's a mess. I'm gooder than he is. Or how about that lady on my bowling team? She's a piece of work. I'm glad. You all know this, right? I'm glad I'm gooder than she is. Do you really want to play the gooder game with God? Because here, here's, here's what's going to happen if you play the gooder game with God. Here you are. You're gooder than her and her and him and him and her and him. And here's you are, gooder than them. But you know what? There's always going to be someone gooder than you. And someone gooder than them. And someone gooder than them. Someone gooder. Someone gooder. Someone gooder. And all of a sudden, you're gooder? 
is not so good. And that raises two challenging, troubling questions for me, hopefully for you too. Number one, what's good enough? And number two, who gets to determine who's good enough? I mean, all of a sudden, you're pretty far down. Who makes the cut and who doesn't? That's a, that could be a challenge for you. Do you really want to pin your hopes of salvation, of living forever with Jesus on being good enough or gooder than anyone else? See, that was never the standard. God never said, hey, the standard is the people beside you. That's never this been the standard. Standard is God said, hey, be perfect as I am perfect. Well, that takes all of us out, right? That's the point. We need someone who is perfect to take our place, to be perfect for us. See, the last time I checked, the number of perfect people in this world is hovering right around mm, zero. And that will never change. The standard you're measured against is not anyone around you. It's the perfectness of God. That's why Jesus said no one is good except for God alone. So this is, this is a big deal for Nicodemus. This is a really big deal for Nicodemus because Nicodemus believed he was good. Everyone else believed Nicodemus was good. There was no one gooder than Nicodemus. No one's walking around town in Jerusalem saying, oh, there's Nicodemus. He's okay, but I'm gooder than he is. No, because everybody knew Nicodemus was like gooder. He's like the gooderest. He was so far above everyone else's good. Like today, you want to compare your good against Nick? You're going to lose every time. Nicodemus was so, so good. You think you're a goody two-shoes? Guess what? He's a goody five-shoes. Not sure how that works. An odd number. But that's how good he was. Nicodemus is, when it comes to being the goodness or good, he's at the tippy, 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 tippy top. No one was as good as Nicodemus. And yet he stands before Jesus and Jesus said, even you, Nicodemus, even you have to be born again. And if Jesus meant that for Nicodemus, then he means it for everybody else. We all have to be born again. Here's why. Because what's necessary for the best is necessary for the rest. I like how, I, I like how um, another pastor put this, Pete Briscoe. I don't know if you know his name or not. He was uh, lead pastor of Bent Tree Bible Fellowship out in Carrollton, Texas. But he said, in, in his opinion, this is like 10 years ago and he said this, but he said, in his opinion, Michael Jordan is the best basketball player to ever lace up uh, and get on a court. Now, whether you agree or disagree with his opinion about who's the best, who's not the best is irrelevant. Just go with me on this. But he said, remember when Coach Jackson, uh, Phil, Phil Jackson was coaching Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And if maybe one day they had a bad practice, everybody was missing their shots. And, and Coach Jackson said, hey, practice is over. But before anybody leaves, I want every single person on this team to go take 100 free throw shots. Go, go to the foul line. We've got to start making our shots. 100 shots by everybody. The moment he would have said that, every eye on the team would have turned to one man. You know who? Michael Jordan, because if Michael Jordan, who was the best, picked up a ball and went over and started practicing 100 free throws from the foul line, every other person on the team would have done exactly the same. Why? Because what's necessary for the best is necessary for the rest. 
If Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, hey, you are the top of the top, you know, and it was meant for Nicodemus, then it's meant for all of us. It's meant for you and it's meant for me. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. So guess what? Colin, you have to be born again. Simon, you're too close. (laughs) You have to be born again. Jim, you've got to be born again. All of us have to be born again. This confused Nicodemus. Like It would confuse us, right? So here's, here's what Nicodemus asked. He said, how? How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. But Jesus wasn't talking about physical birth. We know that. The, the word that Jesus used, the Greek word there is onathen. Say that with me. Onathen. Now you know Greek. Cool. So, so onathen. Onathen was a word in the Greek language, and it had two meanings. It had a literal meaning, and it had a nuanced meaning. So the literal meaning of, of this word onathen, the literal meaning is from above. Like you'd be born from above. But the nuanced meaning is again. You'd be born again. Like if you look, if you open up your Bible or tap the Bible app, it's going to tell you, hey, this word in Greek could have one of these two meanings. And that may, that's not strange to us. We, we do that all the time with words in our culture, right? So, so Wednesday nights, um, all the senior high guys, they come and hang out at my house. And by the way, shameless plug, if you are a senior high guy, man, come hang out with us Wednesday nights at 7.30 at my house. We're just real guys talking about real life and really following Jesus together. So senior highs, if you're like ninth through 12th grade, come join us at my house this Wednesday at 7.30. But then a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we're sitting there talking about how Jesus saves. And one of the guys says, dude, that's so fire. Okay, so fire... Fire is literally, it has a literal meaning, right? Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Okay, let me tell you. Fire is literally, you know, blazing hot flames. But in our culture today, fire has a nuanced meaning, meaning that's, that's lit, that's great, that's amazing. Jesus used a word like that. He's like, hey, you have to, you have to be anothen. You have to be anothen. Born again from above or again, which one, which one did Jesus mean? Well, here's what I think. I think Jesus was fire. See what I did, right? I think Jesus was fire. I think Jesus was doing a really cool wordplay, and I think he meant both. Hey, Nicodemus, you have to be born again from above. I think Jesus was super smart and knew how to use words like that. I, I think he was saying, you got to be born again from above. You can't do what you need to have done in your life, Nicodemus. Like, only God can do that. He's saying to Nicodemus, you're the top of the food chain. But even you, even you have to be born again. You you cannot save you. You cannot do for you what needs to be done in your life. Nicodemus, you need a fresh start. You don't need to be a better you. You've tried that your whole life. How's it working for you? You don't have to have just something added to your life, you need to be made again, born again from above, from God. You cannot do what you need done in your life. You cannot make a new you. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you and to me. But what, like, what does that look like? You ever been curious about that? Like born again, what does that actually mean? What does it look like? We'll come back next Sunday 
because we're going to dig into that even more deeply. Oh, man, I sat through like half. I I can go as long as you want, but I know what time it is. But we're going to hit this next week when we actually get into uh, deeper the conversation and conclude the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. But just so you get a little bit more for your money this morning, let me give you a hint of what next week is going to um, mean for you. Let me, let me give you a picture of what it turns out to be. And this is written by us, to us, uh, for us by another Pharisee. This Pharisee uh, would have considered himself on par with Nicodemus. In fact, he wrote about this about himself. He said, nobody... Nobody, like in the whole world, the whole Jewish world, nobody was more zealous for God's law than me. He's very humble, right? And then he met the resurrected Jesus. And it so transformed his life. You know what he wrote after that? I am the world's worst sinner. Like, what a transformation, right? This guy's name was Paul. And Paul wrote about what, what happened in his life and what can happen in your life and what can happen in my life. And this is what he wrote. This is like what it looks like, this, this new you. Paul writes this for us. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Like, you're a new you. Not just a better you. Not just the best you. Because even the best you is still not good or enough. You're a new you. Like, the old. He says, the old has gone. And the new is here. And all this isn't from you, isn't from your good works, isn't you keeping the law. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, brought back into right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is getting at for Nicodemus and for us. This is what Nicodemus needed. This is what we all need to be born again. And this is available for you. And good news is, you don't have to wait till next week to ask Jesus to do this. You can ask him right here, right now, today. A lot of you, in fact, if you were to go into almost any church in America today, and I'm not just talking about general populace, we're talking about people in churches. Hey, if God, if, if God would say yes to let you into heaven, why would he say yes to you? you know, the vast majority of people say, like way, way up high majority of people, because I'm good enough. I'm gooder than my good outweighs my bad. And God's going to say that that was never the standard. Like you're in a whole different scale. God has one standard for you. To be perfect. And you are not. And I am not. But from God's perspective, you can be. But it's nothing you do. It's not just an additive to make you better. It's a whole new you. And you cannot make a new you. Only God can through Jesus. And so today, maybe you need to ask Jesus, Jesus, I, I thought I was doing all right. I mean, my whole life, I've been thinking that I was good enough. But maybe I've been wrong. And Jesus, maybe today's the day I begin to get it right. Maybe today I can just let it all go. In fact, we're going to sing a song in a moment. And this song is really a prayer. How cool to sing a prayer? And maybe this needs to be your prayer, but, but the, words, the words of this song, I'll, I'll spare you by not singing them, but the words of this song go like this. Here's where I lay it down. Every burden and every crown, like everything I've worked for, every, all the good things I've been kind of bringing on to myself, every burden and every crown, here's where I lay it down. 
This is my surrender. I will make room for you, Jesus, to do whatever you want to. And maybe that needs to be your prayer this morning. Do you really want to pin your hope on being good enough? Do you really want to stand on that slippery slope? I don't. Today, I'm going to get before Jesus. And I've surrendered my life to him. Like every day. <laughs> For me, it's not a one-off. It's like, I'm such a screw-up that I need to get on my knees again. And, and when it's going great, I just need to get on my knees and just praise him and thank him. I'm going to do that today. If you want to praise him, come on and join me at the altar. If you want to ask him to do this work in you that maybe he's never done for you, that you cannot do for you, just come up and ask him. He is so ready, so ready to begin a good work in you. Let me pray us in. Father God, we're about to do something that I believe is so vital in our lives. And Jesus, you said it. This is what we get to do, asking you to make us new. Not better, just new. And Lord, I pray that if anybody in person here or online has never asked you to begin or do this work in them, that today would be the day. And you would answer them saying, here I am. I'm going to do my work in you today. So God, let us give you all the room you need. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do as we pray our way through this next song. Jesus, this is all about you, and we thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's stand as we sing. and know the altar's wide open if you want to come up and praise him or ask him for anything today. Let's, let's stand and sing. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.